Welcome to Axiopod, a podcast brought to you by Axiometrics, the leader in U.S. apartment and student housing market intelligence. This is the spot for excellent commentary and insightful interviews on the rapidly changing U.S. apartment and student housing markets. Hello, and welcome to Axiopod. I'm Dave Sorter, and with me today is American Campus Community Executive Vice President and Director of Inve- and Chief Investment Officer, William Talbot. Um, Will, tell me, um, how has the student market, housing market changed in the past year? Well, Dave, uh, nice to see you again. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the, the real story in the past year for student housing has been the continued maturation of the sector, uh, not only from a product standpoint, but really from an investor standpoint. When you look back in 2016, it was a record year uh, in terms of transactions for the sector where you saw almost $10 billion of a- assets trade. You know, that was almost $4 billion or a little over $4 billion from the prior year and three times that of 2014. So pretty impressive investment into the sector. Um, and what's even more impressive is that occurred in a year when the public REITs, ACC and EDR, only accounted for about 3% of transaction volume. Yeah. So a lot of interest is coming from what traditionally hasn't been the driving forces in, in, in transaction market. And we saw within that year, we saw about 34% of total investment was from brand new entrants, people and groups wow. that had never invested into the sector, uh, which speaks to really the demand that people are, 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 are you know, the, the, the investment demand people are looking into the sector. And the other part of that is a lot of those groups are foreign and institutional investors who have a large appetite when they identify a, a niche or a sector. So not only does it speak well for volume for 16, but those groups will look to make a sizable investment into the sector over the next few years, and we think will drive strong transaction volume going forward. I know that's more competition for you. Um, do you see that kind of investment continuing? Because I know a lot of those uh, that record transactions were a couple of really, really tremendously big deals. You know, we, we do. Obviously, there was the two large transactions with Campus Crest uh, acquired mm-hmm. by Harrison Street and the, the university housing communities uh, transaction, which occurred early in the year. But, you know, both of those groups have large appetites, and there's a number of other groups that didn't enter in 2016 that still want to enter into the sector and have paired with local operators. And those, again, those groups want to put out – they're not looking to put out $100 million. They want to put out billions of dollars <laughs> of investment into the sector. And so there's going to continue to be interest, and the biggest inhibitor will be, you know, the production and development of quality products that meet their investment criteria. So we think this is really just the start of the investment runway for the sector and and think we'll continue to see strong investment, you know, into the near future. Very nice. Now, um, rent growth seems to be up in a lot of uh, properties and a lot of markets. I mean, is that because supply is stabilizing and enrollment is growing or what's going on there? Well, you know, uh, so we, we have seen strong rent growth, and you've seen that despite some stories of new supply and 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 where that has focused. Um, we, we think it's it's a number of things. One is as you as you've heard, and we talked about when we spoke before, is mm-hmm. this really is an immature sector in terms of product and, and in supply meeting demand. When you look across the the, the sector, uh, especially in the 65 markets where we operate, 
you know, only 21% of students are housed on campus. Um, typically, that's an older product that averages a median age of 50 years old, doesn't offer any of the amenities or living conditions that students are looking for. Right. You know, after that, about 10% of enrollment is in modern purpose-built housing that's pedestrian to campus, with another 13% that is you know, modern or, or, you know, purpose-built, but maybe further a drive location for campus. Mm -hmm. So in these markets, well over half of students are still having to find alternative housing, and that's, you know, that, that's really what me and you probably remember or think about <laughs> when, when we talk about college housing, which is, you know, older absentee landlord houses or mm -hmm. low-density duplexes that have a lot of deferred maintenance and little oversight. So we see that there is still a great runway for the, the supply to meet the demand, and you know th that is causing the the or has caused the markets to continue to have rent growth, even though you've seen supply. Then on top of that, you see the enrollment. You know our our markets are averaging about 1.3 percent enrollment per year growth. Mm -hmm. You know that's not really the story. The modernization and finally supplying you know, product that meets the demand for today's student is really what's the driving force in our industry. But certainly having another one to three or one point three percent of enrollment to to offset that is only an accelerator to that that growth. So we we think you're just starting to meet the supply needs. The the four year public universities we serve have very long, stable growth enrollments, which we expect to continue and, and see that the, the potential for strong rental rate to conter to occur well into the future. So those numbers that we talked about last year, 21% on campus, 23% uh, in purpose-built, uh, those haven't changed much as we got into this year, did it, huh? No, and it really didn't. And it's really two factors that, that are uh, contributing to those numbers staying the same. One is the enrollment growth, which we mentioned. You know, you're averaging about 1.3% enrollment growth. Mm -hmm. Then the other part is, a lot of the new supply that you see on campus is a majority of replacement beds of that older antiquated product uh -huh. as universities look to, to, to fill that. Um, you know, one thing I think that is important to point out, when, as we said, when we talk about the 23% of student housing that is off campus, uh -huh. you know, 13% of that is drive location product. When people first entered the sector and looked for opportunities and realized that there was a need for the supply, Developers were going to the easiest developable tracks, one to three miles from campus, you know, right. large tracks, but low-density, cheaper housing. And because there was just simply a lack of any competitive product uh, to offer the kind of amenities and unit, uh, you know, unit layouts that kids wanted, they filled up and did well. Over the long term, as, as ACC has done well for our very core infill philosophy and other core products have continued to really show long-term consistent growth, We've seen a shift in, in, in developers where they're now shifting their strategy and really being focused on infill locations as well. Mm -hmm. um, so now when you look at – and that's created the 10% we talked about previously. Mm -hmm. So as we look at, there's only 10% of, of, of beds in our market or 10% of enrollment of beds that are actually providing quality, purpose-built, off-campus housing in a pedestrian location. They're just really starting to serve that segment. Do you see that? Do and you see that percentage increasing in the future? We do. Um, you know, as I said, we've as we've had long-term consistent growth, and some of those assets that were built further from campus, you know, once their their new amenity at the time wore out, or there was a new product built inside that was a little bit shinier and newer, 
um, you know, th- they had inconsistent performance. Whereas the core infill pedestrian assets, they offer the best location or really the best amenity, which is location, uh, and doesn't change. And so, as you know, developers are, are, are very keen and watch what happens. And as we've continued to perform well with that philosophy and others have, they've really shifted their strategy. And so when you look at 2017 and the 65 markets where we track supply, 70% of that is pedestrian. So you really are seeing a shift in, in philosophy as it relates to the beds being delivered. Do you think that also provides more opportunity for some mixed-use stuff and putting retail, restaurants, uh, nightlife into the into those areas? It, it, it does, and it's a specific opportunity. Uh, you know, we always say just because you have 700 kids above you does not make a valid retail site. <laughs> uh, ACC owns and operates about 600,000 square feet of retail. You know, a, a good vast majority of that is great retail, designed retail, has a strong retail demand, uh, we, we house everything from Starbucks to Chipotle to Shake Shack, you know, real high-quality national tenants. However, there's a number of products that are projects that we've built that had existing retail that really sh- never should have been retail. It was either dictated by the city or the developer thought it looked good on a pro forma and, and really doesn't offer a whole lot of value to the asset. You know, those we typically call is amenity expansion area uh, because you, the, the market's not there. And so... There is a great opportunity, and certainly as you become more core and infill, but it's got to make sense as a retail investment first. The student housing above it will not make the retail successful. So speaking of the student housing itself, um, what kind of amenities and features are today's parents and students looking for? And is that changing, you know, especially now that uh, the Generation Z are starting to become college age? I guess the first ones were freshmen this year. Yeah, absolutely. You hit on a key point. You're really seeing right now the transition out of the millennials and really seeing the first time that Generation Z has come in. And so you absolutely have seen a shift in the the past five years in what our student consumers are looking for. Um, As we've always been focused, you know, or really step back a second, Gen Z, you know, they're very different than millennials, and they're very focused really on academic success, affordability and health and well-being. That is, you know, that, that is very much top priorities for them. And, and ACC has always been, been focused on those things, but we've really continued to refine our products to meet those needs. And if you break down those three, so look at academic success. You know, we always provided computer labs or a study space. That product has, has now evolved to large academic success centers that have group and individual study rooms with technology and connectivity uh, include casual and comfortable study nooks for groups, really offering a much more expansive area for kids to study in different environments and with different groups. Um, when you switch to the attribute of affordability, and this is one that really is a driving point in our industry, but the Gen Z is much more sensitive to affordability and value proposition. And so as we look at our developments, especially in an environment with increasing costs on both land and construction, We've had to be very creative and very strategic in the way that we look at designing our unit mixes, mm-hmm. our floor plans, and then our overall building design to be able to offer diverse yet still affordable price points. Um, because there may be kids who will want to live in the very, very best property in the very best location, but there's a very shallow pool of kids that can afford that. Mm-hmm. And one mistake we continually see uh, is developers that are trying to get that top 1% to 2%. And though it may be successful for a year, you know, as someone replicates that or the newest, most expensive one comes, you can see some 
you know, some impact and long-term viability to that project. Go to the third component that, that the, the Gen Z is really focused on is really health and well-being. And really second to academic success when we look at uh, the amenity space, we dedicate it to fitness. Um, with state-of-the-art equipment, a variety of machines, free weights, other fitness options, you know, yoga spaces, other, other fitness-related activities. Because we found that even though these kids and in the locations we're developing are across the street from campus, they may even be across the street from the rec center. They want a convenient access within their complex for, for a fitness center. And we've seen kind of the days of a token gym go away. Uh, that's no longer acceptable for these students. So kind of the days of the rock climbing walls and the tanning beds are, you know, pretty much in the past. <laughs> yeah, really. I mean, the, 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 the Gen Z students, you know, they, they're, they're going to school to get an education to be successful. And so they want to have a, they want to have a conveniently located product. They want to have spaces where they can study and certainly the, the technology and the bandwidth to do it. Um, and then, you know, the, the, they want, Good amenities, but the over-the-top amenities that typically you'd see in those further-out projects, just they don't have the ability to deliver long-term consistent growth like a pedestrian location with a real environment conducive to academic success will offer. You mentioned the technology. Um, how are you incorporating technology into the academic and study spaces that you were talking about? Well, I mean, it, that, that even beyond just the study spaces, you know, technology, internet connectivity, and then reliable connectivity is an absolute must-have. Uh, we've seen projects which were beautiful projects and everything else was right, but they didn't think through the, the internet and the bandwidth, and they suffered. Kids, they cannot be successful uh, in their academic studies without reliable and fast internet. So we'll focus a lot on the bandwidth and connectivity um, you know, back in 2013, we developed a project here in Austin, Texas, that was the absolutely first project in the United States that offered one gig per bed, um, one gig of bandwidth per bed. We call it G to the B. You know, really now, that's a standard development spec for us, and we're even going into some of our existing projects and retrofitting them with increased bandwidth and connectivity because these kids just demand it. They cannot be successful in class without that, that level of connectivity. Then within the study spaces, you know, it's all about their ability to interact within group settings. So much of their class assignments are group-related. Um, and so we build a lot of technology, and again, with the bandwidth, bandwidth and connectivity, but also ways for them easily to project and, and project projects or PowerPoint on the screens, be able to edit, being able to have others control uh, one singular machine. So a lot of ways for them to have these group interactivity um, within the study spaces. Space. So are there any trends as uh, getting out of the study spaces and into the rooms themselves, the units themselves, are there any trends as far as the type of units that are most popular? Do more people want two bedrooms or even one bedrooms or are the threes and fours still dominant? Well, you know, go back to what we talked about earlier, the affordability being one of the key mm -hmm. focuses. And so when you really look at our, you look at our own portfolios, about 58% of our portfolio is in the four-bedroom unit. Uh, two bedrooms are the second at 22, and then you know the remaining kind of floor plan types drop much lower than that. As we've been sitting in a, in a uh, current environment where construction costs are escalating, land costs for close infill development is escalating, we really have looked at our strategy as it relates to, to unit plan, floor plan, 
um, and other aspects to, to figure out a real creative and strategic approach. And, and so we started looking at, you know, the majority of our development units still tend to be four-bedroom because it's, it's the ultimate ability to offer privacy, uh, private bath accommodations, mm-hmm. but also um, a more affordable price point because you're sharing a common area. We have started to look at, for, for our on-campus and certainly our off-campus developments, you know, five-bedroom units, maybe wow. five fives, six sixes. Uh, we've also looked at um, maybe doing more private bedrooms or shared bathrooms because, again, you can create a more affordable price point. And really in specific markets or instances, we may even look on an off-campus asset at developing a limited number of shared bedroom spaces. We've done that uh, in in limited capacity off-campus in the last two years, and we'll continue to look at that. And we can design a very uh, specific shared bedroom unit that still offers the resident you know, individuality and privacy through privacy walls, individual closets and desks and sinks and compartmentalized bathrooms. So they're not giving up total privacy, but it's at a much more compelling price point that they can live in the best asset and the best location to, to campus with access to all the amenities we talked about, but at a price point they can afford. And that's really becoming more and more important as Gen Z comes into our markets. Interesting. Very Interesting. I'm going to ask you to uh, look into your crystal ball a little bit. And, you know, Axiometrics has found that we're expecting about 47,000 new beds this year, which is about just a little bit more or about the same as the last couple of years. But do you think we're ever going to get back to those heady days of 2013 and 2014 with uh, 60,000 beds? Or do you think we're, supply will continue to moderate and kind of rotate among the various universities each year? Yeah, you know, you made a, a very good point. Though you, we've seen nationally, uh, it seems that the supply is stabilizing out around that 47,000. Um, it's not 47,000 beds in the same market, so right. it jumps around and it's typically spread within, you know, 30 to 50 markets across the country. Um, so the actual supply within a given market can be much less uh, and changes year to year. You know, overall, um, from a national basis, I think there's kind of two things that are going to make going back to those elevated levels of supply you saw in 2013 occur again. Um, you know, one, you've got the pre the, the enrollment growth we talked about. The universities have kind of continued to grow, uh, which is an offset of, of enrollment, will, um, you know, mitigate new supply. And that's something we always look at. What's the percent of supply to enrollment within a market? Um, and then secondarily, as we talked about, developers are more and more focused on these infill developments and you know as those are the developments that we solely focus on you know they're typically required rezoning uh they're typically assemblages um it's a much more longer process and then once you get through the process of entitlement they're typically higher density which have a longer construction period so you just can't deliver as many projects as quickly uh as you can with low density stick frame so that, sure. as developers are more and more focusing, as we said, 70% of the, the, the new supply in the markets we serve is pedestrian, just as a natural inhibitor to how much supply can be added within any given year. Interesting. And about supply, I mean, do you see smaller universities getting more into the, into the fray of uh, having private developers come in with off-campus housing, or are the Power Five conference schools, the big state schools, still the focal point? 
Well, you know, for, for us, we've always had a strict criteria as it relates to investing our capital within the market. Um, but that strict criteria offers a very deep opportunity set for us. So we look at universities that either are over 15,000 in enrollment or for either primarily a four-year public school uh, or flagship school or, you know, and within the Power Five conferences or even FBS Bowl eligible. Right. And that opportunity set includes 255 schools with 6.3 million students. So it's a very, very deep opportunity <laughs> set. You know, as we look at it, staying within those parameters, you know, we've got a great growth story just within those. So we typically are targeting 10% of enrollment within any given market. If we were to just stay in the 65 markets we currently operate, where we're about 4.5% of enrollment, we can literally double the size of our company without expanding out of those markets and still stay under our 10%. If we were to then go try to expand the, to the 255 qualified schools, we could grow by a factor of six times. So even though we have a strict criteria and aren't really looking to go to these smaller tertiary schools, there's a great opportunity set. And you know that, that, that investment criteria is what has driven the long-term consistent growth. And we just think there's more susceptibility to enrollment. There's more susceptibility to new supply within those smaller tertiary markets. So how's the ACE program going, and how do you see the uh, public-private partnership trend has evolved? Well, you know, and, and, and a lot of people think ACE and, and, and public-private partnership slash P3 is the same thing. And really, P3 is a much bigger universe than just ACE. Um, you know, as, as students or universities are looking to improve their housing stock, you know, and they look to the, to the private market, there's a number of ways they can actually finance or transact that P3 uh, housing opportunity. You know, traditionally, and really the way ACC got its start uh, as a company, was focused on third-party financing projects. So a university, either through a foundation or, or uh, other vehicle, would create or go out and get 100% project-based financing, um, which is off-balance sheet and off-credit as long as the project is successful. And, you know, ACC has a, has a dearth of experience in those. We've done over 60 of those or $2.4 billion in development. Um, and we're still doing those. We have two projects this year that will develop under the third-party uh, model. And a, and a number of the assets that we're pursuing now uh, or opportunities that we're pursuing now uh, are more likely third-party opportunities than ACE. You know, as you shift over to the ACE, which, again, is when we invest our equity through a long-term ground lease with the university, right. that opportunity set remains very deep as well. You know, we've done 30 projects, about two point, or, I'm sorry, $1.8 billion in total development of those. And, again, our pipeline of those opportunities is very deep. Um, right now, our focus has been primary development. We've got about a $1.1 billion pipeline, and about a little over 50% of that is the ACE on campus. So those universities are facing you know, tightening state budgets and lower state funding, um, a growing need to really recruit the best and brightest. And part of that recruitment is offering modern housing, where the, which has the amenities and has the living accommodations that the student wants. They're looking to the private sector because we can provide it you know, with our design expertise, provide the product they want, you know, at a lower cost basis than the public sector and do it off their balance sheet. And so we go into these opportunities and say, look, we do it all and we've done it all. You know, 
Let's come up with what the best project is and what the best approach, and then we'll determine what's the best way to financing, whether it's through ACC with our equity or through another, you know, the university's access to capital or some third-party financing. Very good. Very interesting. Um, Will, anything else that uh, about the student housing market that we didn't cover that you feel should, our listeners should know? No, you know, as, as the industry really just starts, it's, it's, it's modernization that we've seen occurring over the last few years. Uh, we, we think the runway and the growth opportunity within the sector remains very vibrant, um, along as still offering that growth opportunity. As we said before, only 45, 44% of kids are either living on campus or currently in purpose-built, and we're averaging 1.3% supply to enrollment every year. That runaway before supply really starts to meet an equilibrium of demand is decades away. And then you throw it with the long-term, consistent rental rate and NOI growth that the sector's seen, and we think there's a very good reason why you've seen such an increase in investor interest, the institutional and foreign capital come into the sector, and the large amount of, of transactional volume within our sector. And we think that will continue to occur uh, certainly over the next few years. Very good and very interesting stuff, Will. Thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. All right. That was uh, William Talbot, Executive Vice President and Chief Investment Officer of American Campus Communities, one of the powerhouse student housing REITs. Um, that's all the time we have today. Um, I would like to give a shout out to my Axio partner, Sarah Simmons, for setting this up today. And until next time, I'm Dave Sorter. Have an Axio day. Thank you for listening to Axiopod from Axiometrics. Subscribe to Axiopod on iTunes to get the latest episodes downloaded to your device. And visit www.axiometrics.com to learn how to obtain timely, granular, and accurate apartment and student housing market intelligence.